COVID put employee health and wellness in the spotlight. And businesses have now been able to see on a large scale just how much a healthy workforce is essential for corporate success. And on the employee side, the pandemic also caused a lot of us to reevaluate what's most important. So we're seeing a real renaissance period of what does it mean to be a healthy and engaged worker? And diversification of the pillars of health discussion to mental, social, financial health, all above and beyond traditional physical health focus. This is The Starting Line, a conversation series with dynamic leaders who are doing transformational work in their chosen fields. We'll be exploring how they got their start, the role of mentors in their success, and the pivotal experiences that have shaped their career journey so far. I'm your host, Mona Malone, Chief Human Resources Officer and Head of People and Culture for BMO Financial Group. My special guest today is Dr. Talia Farley of Cleveland Clinic Canada. Cleveland Clinic is a leading global nonprofit academic medical center that brings together clinical, hospital care, research, and education, serving over 14 million patients in more than 275 locations. Talia is physician lead for Cleveland Clinic's advisory services in Canada, driving the medical director program for large companies like BMO. Her background makes her uniquely suited for this role. She holds a master's in public health from Harvard University and an MD and certification in family medicine from McMaster University. She's also a skilled business strategist and former management consultant. This career track has given her a deep understanding of the connections between physical and mental health, business productivity, and career success. She also shares with me a passion about women's health. Talia, welcome to The Starting Line. Thanks so much for having me here. So let's start. I'm so fascinated by your career journey. You began in medicine and then pivoted to business in management consulting. Tell me a bit about what really inspired your transition. Well, the running joke in our household growing up was that you only had two career options, You were either going to be a lawyer or a doctor. And my older sibling decided to be a lawyer, so it meant I had to be a doctor. But actually, I was surrounded by a lot of positive professional influences across a lot of different industries. And it's through these influences that I got to meet different doctors who had a really meaningful impact on the community. Now, I'm someone who has always been really driven by the idea of impact, and I saw medicine as a vocation, as a deep act of service, and one that I am really privileged to be able to say is my calling. But there are limits to the impact of patient care. Physicians are often limited by the sheer number of hours that they have in a day because one person can only treat and see so many patients in an hour, day, or week. So I needed to explore a way to touch more lives, help more patients in a way that created value at a system level. And over time, I realized that the business side of medicine was a way to get there and really make positive change at scale. And that mentality led me to study healthcare management in the U.S. to better understand and know what I didn't know, find new mentors, discover new potential paths. And one of the paths that I discovered was in management consulting, eventually leading me to join McKinsey & Company as a generalist management consultant. 
And so in working in management consulting and really exploring the business world, that gave me that leadership bootcamp training and consulting toolkit that I could eventually bring back to the healthcare sector to best marry those two worlds. And I think that that really came together beautifully in what I get to do here at Cleveland Clinic Canada, where we work with a lot of the biggest companies in the country on all things health, wellness, performance optimization, safety, and more, bringing best practices from the healthcare industry back to corporate Canada. Well, talk about keeping it real. You get to advise companies on their total wellness and you're with patients. So it really keeps you grounded in the day-to-day, but also strategic and systems thinking in terms of impact. Do you have any favorite stories of moving from medicine to business? What I think is one of the funnier anecdotes is that doctors think that they know how to use PowerPoint but they definitely do not. (laughs) It takes a seasoned expert to show you the many capabilities of what a great slide and a great deck looks like, such that recently I looked back to a medical school presentation and I am both shocked and disappointed at what we thought would pass for great back then, but I think it just goes to show how much you have to learn from everyone around you and it just takes one or two people to really open your eyes to how to use tools that might have been familiar to you in the past in completely different ways that can help you to change hearts, minds, bring narratives to life differently, and has actually become a, a core component of my personal toolkit as a leader these days. It also really highlights how through our careers, there's so many different roles that we have and the roles that we have um, need different skills. And so by taking on different assignments, you get to flex different muscles and you're in different environments. I think it's that diversity of experience as you look back on the career, which really kind of makes a strong career mosaic that prepares you for future challenges. You know, I think about my own career I spent time in HR, but then I went into marketing and, you know, feeling like I didn't know things and knowing that so many members of my team had years and years of experience that I didn't in certain areas. And you have to flex different muscles to bring out the best in a team. And that difference of being an expert in the field and then also leading a team where you're not an expert really allowed me to grow as a person. Absolutely. And your comment on when you're entering a new role and you might not be as deep in that area, being broad can be just as important, being able to connect the dots between things and see things that others don't, but also knowing how to make the right decisions in the right time frame. You have to avoid analysis by paralysis. Sometimes if you're 51% right, that still means that you're right. And moving away sometimes from being perfect, because sometimes perfect can be the enemy of good. And I think in medicine, when the stakes are so high and you think about patient care and patient outcomes, rightly so, you need to get it as right and as right as possible every time that you can. But there are different thresholds and different ways of problem solving coming to decision making that come to life in the business world. And so it's great to have both perspectives, but knowing how to use your learnings in different settings really becomes a bit of that secret sauce to bringing the best of together. Uh, Tell me a bit about your perspective. You know, we've just lived through this pandemic. We're on the other side of it. It's had enormous impact on society overall and businesses. And in many cases, we're still struggling with this return to office or return to some kind of new normal. Tell me a bit about how COVID has changed the way you look at or the businesses are looking at employee health and wellness. Yeah. COVID put employee health and wellness in the spotlight. 
And businesses have now been able to see on a large scale just how much a healthy workforce is essential for corporate success. It became very clear, right, when employees are sick or not at their healthy best, there are serious operational, cultural, and performance implications. And on the employee side, the pandemic also caused a lot of us to reevaluate what's most important. And that's duly helping companies to push even further around what to look at in terms of benefits offerings. How do we push the envelope? How do we think about health and wellness in the workplace from a new perspective? And it's leading to investing more and differently in other domains beyond even physical health. So the data is even showing us that this is a trend that we are just not going to get away from. We have future workplace sentiment surveys showing HR leaders rating employee well-being and mental health as a top priority. Wellable surveys showing you know, employees are increasing investment in mental health programs, management and resilience programs, mindfulness and meditation. And 65% of employers right now are looking to even spend more on financial wellness and telemedicine access. So we're seeing a real renaissance period of what does it mean to be a healthy and engaged worker? And diversification of the pillars of health discussion to mental, social, financial health, all above and beyond traditional physical health focus. Let's talk a little bit about mental health. You know, no doubt the pandemic has had an enormous impact. What do you see in terms of how mental health is impacting businesses? You're right. The pandemic has had a significant impact on our mental health. We're seeing increased stress and burnout, rates of mental health conditions like anxiety and depression at somewhat untenable rates at times. And this combination of uncertainty, fear of getting sick over the last few years, losing loved ones, social isolation, different change management around working models, financial strain with the economic factors, and a continuous stream of negative news, all contributing to a rise in these mental health concerns. And again, the research insights show that the pandemic has had a greater impact on the mental health of even adults and children, but specifically young adults. And that can put additional pressures on caregivers in the workplace who have kids at home and also some of the youngest and earliest tenure team members. So for employees caring for children and youth with mental health issues, that can actually translate into the workplace through increased stress, exhaustion, burnout, all due to balancing personal and work-related roles. And businesses are definitely seeing the impact of this mental health strain at the population level. Decreases in productivity, rise in absenteeism, presenteeism, links to decreased job satisfaction and increased turnover of employees. And what's really concerning here is a futures forum survey and other data tells us burnout is still on the rise, even though we're going into this peri-COVID period. So recent data says 42% of the workforce is reporting burnout. A recent Manulife research piece says that an average of 48 days per employee is lost in 2022 because of health-related absences and presenteeism including mental health. And more and more data from Deloitte, from McKinsey, from other organizations, it's staggering. And it's a reason why mental health is still such a prominent topic of conversation at the leadership table, as is broader health and safety even into this peri-COVID period. 
Yeah, the business case is so incredibly clear. Um, I think you laid out the facts that are in front of us. When you think about what companies can do, right, wellness strategies, how does a company's wellness strategy actually influence the business performance? I think that your wellness strategy is such an important formulation of all of the different components of your business. It takes into consideration the global nature of what you're doing, the types of roles, the teams that you have, the way of working, the cultural overlay there, and really the demands of different segments of your people. It also gives you a chance to think about benchmarking to other organizations as well, whether it's cross-industry or your peers. And it taps into this vein of how do we come back better? How do we build back better? How do we prepare for the future of the workplace five years from now, 10 years from now? And so when we think about this renaissance period of wellness, this is a chance to hit in a positive way, a bit of a reset button, get a pulse check on where our employees are, because there's been such an incredible evolution. And every year in the last few years has been so different. And the needs have changed so rapidly that we have to really continuously come back to ground ourselves on what matters most, what are the unique trends that are starting to burgeon from the data internally, but also externally, so we can keep ahead of it and continuously push towards best practices. Yeah, and I think quite simply, um, I think about, you know, wellness helps ensure that your employees can work on the things you want them to do and that you're supporting their optimal performance and that it's not that it's preventative that it is thinking about kind of optical peak performance and a total life experience as opposed to just in the workplace thinking about them as a whole person tell me a bit in terms of we've talked we have a shared passion around women's health you know such an important topic and some of the issues around women's health are unique So we've talked about menopause, pregnancy loss, and other women's health issues that are um, sometimes not talked about in the corporate world and how important this is as human capital leaders to talk about women's health and to think about it in terms of the benefits programs that are provided, um, how this might impact women in the workplace. So tell me a little bit about your take on women's health broadly. I, I agree with you on this, Mona, that women's health issues are underrecognized in the corporate world. I think we're just at the beginning of what's going to be a much bigger, much broader conversation that's been long overdue. And many experts would go further to say that women's health topics in the workplace are largely still taboo. And yet women represent almost half of the workforce. And so not addressing women's health issues is bound to negatively impact all of those same topics and themes that are coming up around productivity, the workforce as a whole. And again, the research shows this. And whether it's around menstrual symptoms, whether it's around endometriosis, whether it's around fertility treatment or menopause, In all of these different cases, just as we see with trends like mental health or chronic pain or low back pain, that's going to play out for both the individual and the workplace. And we're going to see it around things like taking time off of work, concerns around how health journeys will impact career prospects, reduced hours and potentially even job transitions or early exits of the workforce, especially around menopause symptoms. 
And one of the core cruxes of the issue is, with menopause as an example, almost two-thirds of women feel uncomfortable talking to their manager or supervisor if, for example, the symptoms of menopause impact work performance. So we know that it's really important for companies to start to talk about these women's health issues, breaking down the stigma associated with them, and also using the company positioning to provide women the flexibility and support that they need to stay productive and remain in the workforce. That theme that we keep talking about continues around what benefits the individual, and in this case, women in the workplace, will also benefit companies. And yes, on the absenteeism and presenteeism side, but in this vertical in particular, we're also going to be able to support broader DEI initiatives. So we make sure that companies can maintain the best talent and the most diverse thinking at the helm. When you think about emerging wellness trends that should be on C-suite leaders' minds, what would be kind of some of the top trends that you think are really impacting business right now? Wellness has a growing definition and it is becoming ever complex. It can almost feel overwhelming these days when we try to get our arms around the topic because there's so many incredible things popping up to explore. So I'll share a few of the major trends uh, and areas that we're consistently seeing come up across different companies and different industries, and there's quite a variety. Everything from virtual care to mental health to financial wellness and even personalization So for example, on the virtual care side, we are seeing that the pandemic has really encouraged employers to add virtual care services, tools, navigation supports to their benefits program. And specifically, there's been a lot of interest in health applications for chronic conditions, digital self-management tools, virtual primary care, on-demand for urgent care, and more. On the mental health side, we're seeing more and more. And so that might be specifically around increased financial investments. So 91% of employers this year are looking to invest more resources into mental health, but also in terms of diversity. What are the types of mental health providers that we should think about covering? On financial wellness, it's such an interesting dimension of health because it's so linked to mental, physical, and social health. So we know, for example, that people with debt have much higher rates of mental health issues like depression and anxiety. And with state of the economy, a lot of employers have financial wellness as being top of mind. So companies are now recognizing the importance of supporting their people to both stabilize and manage their finances with, again, a lot of plans across companies to increase their investments this year. And lastly, touching on personalization, we're seeing flexibility as a big theme. We're seeing that become increasingly important in a lot of different ways, but especially on benefits because one size fits none often when it comes to wellness. Everyone has a unique set of circumstances, a unique set of health concerns. And so when we offer personalized and customized wellness options, they're better tailored to the individual's needs and then can usually provide more effective support. When it comes to wellness, as we think about young leaders as a cohort, I think having a sense of calibration is something that can sometimes be a gap area. When we look at seasoned leaders, they've had years to decades to really hone their personal leadership styles, understand what personal professional balance looks like, develop their own personal resilience and well-being toolkit that constantly evolves and is adapted over time to their needs. But when we're early in our career, sometimes we don't always know what we don't know. We don't know what we need, and it's hard for anyone else around us to 
help us to understand that beyond our own self-reflection and self-discovery. So some of the wellness journey for early leaders is really around helping to understand and define what your personal version of wellness and resilience looks like and how you can build a really positive foundation early on that will really set you up for success into the future. Talia, that really resonates with me. When we think about our wellness strategy at BMO, we've rolled out virtual health care for our employees. And the stories I hear of somebody being able to, you know, on their phone, contact somebody when their son or daughter has a burn or when they need advice on something has just been a, a real sense of relief to the workforce and accessibility, in particular during the COVID time. And when I think about your comments on mental health. I think about what we've done around rolling out cognitive behavior therapy and tools to the workforce that have just had high uptick and the stories are tremendous. And on the financial health side, rolling out tutoring services for our employees, recognizing that their children have been impacted through the pandemic and trying to lighten the load for parents in terms of providing that kind of support. And so it resonates a ton in terms of the framework you've provided and how we think about enhancing the benefit offering and the overall employee value proposition. Now, let's switch back for a moment to your own career. When you think about advice you'd give your younger self in terms of career, career planning, thinking about careers, you know, what do you wish you would have known a decade ago? Don't be afraid to test boundaries. I mentor a lot of people across our team globally and had a great conversation with a, a young cardiac surgeon earlier this week. And some of that conversation really even revolved around different deadlines, juggling things. And one of the pieces of advice that I gave was deadlines aren't always that real. And you can go back and you can negotiate those things. But we often perceive timelines, set structures, boundaries as being these immovable objects. But there's actually a ton of play and movement there if you just ask the question. And so some of that relates to curiosity, but some of it's around gumption and really taking a bit of a risk and pushing the boundary in the right way, sometimes not too far, but sometimes just far enough, to be able to see, again, what the art of the possible looks like. And that can really open up so many untold opportunities and paths that you just wouldn't have imagined. That's fantastic. And when you think about mentors that you've had personally and some of the best um, advice that you've got from those mentors, what comes to mind? I think some of the best advice that mentors can give really relates to seeing yourself differently in the eyes of someone else who does care about you, but will also give you a bit of that tough love. And finding people who will give you an honest perspective that's what mentorship, leadership, and care looks like. Often it's easier to say nothing than to have a tough conversation. And some of the best gifts that you can get really revolve around candid feedback that is development-oriented. And so I'd say some of my best mentors and coaches as well, and, and that's not just at work, but in your personal life, as well as you know, if you have that relationship with your spouse, it can be a really powerful way to help you to question positively what you're doing, how you're presenting yourself, and what boundaries you think are real but are really just internalized and, and in your head. 
Yeah, and that really resonates with me in terms of, in some ways, getting out of our own way, but seeking feedback from others on the real impact that we're having and not um, not assuming that impact. Feedback is so important, and it's easy to fall into a feedback vacuum. That's for exactly. sure. Exactly. When you think about young, ambitious people managing their well-being, pursuing their career, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about wellness strategies for companies, but when you think about it really down to the individual level, what advice would you give people in terms of thinking about their own wellness? I think it's important to know who you are, know what matters to you, and know what your sense of purpose is. And by the way, it's okay if that changes over time too. And again, a little or more than a little gumption can be a good thing, both in terms of how you navigate your career, but also in terms of how you learn to share and ask for things, including when it comes to well-being. So just like it's important to voice to our managers and leaders, if we hold uh, passion or have excitement around growth, learning, or development opportunities, the same goes for health and well-being. Often we assume People understand who we are, where we are, uh, what we are going through, but it's actually very hard for those around us to have that much of a keen and close understanding of what is such a personal and uniquely lived experience that each of us has individually. So if you're going through a difficult period of transition at work or at home, which we all go through, and can also be very defining moments of our personal and professional lives, it can be really important to just voice it and find a way to voice it in a way that feels comfortable and organic to you, but also will land and resonate with the person you're sharing with. So whether that's, again, uh, a colleague, whether it's a leader. So specifically, if you're experiencing a well-being challenge, going through a personal health journey, whether it's around a woman's health topic like endometriosis or mental health topic around depression, finding a way to be able to voice what you need as you go through that journey is helpful not just to you, but also your team. Often leaders and team members, colleagues, they don't know that a team member is experiencing a well-being issue. And even if they do, they might not actually know the best way to help you. So don't be afraid to help to guide others and help them to help you over time in a way that both benefits you and the whole team. We need to shake off those self-imposed or sometimes influenced by historical cultural norms, limitation on what we feel like we can bring in terms of our whole selves to the workplace. And as we think about vulnerability and other topics related to EQ, we also know that EQ is the new IQ. And this might actually become a really important part of how you succeed in an organization by tapping into some of the things that might have felt outside of a certain boundary or might have felt taboo years ago might truly be what leads to your next career advancement opportunity. And I think keeping in mind that your wellness is what makes you a better leader. And so don't forget that. Don't be silent on it and really leverage it into your career progression over time. You started with um, personal purpose and knowing yourself. And there's a great technique that I've practiced in my over 20-year career that's really been helpful. And it's been kind of at the start of every year thinking about my life as a pie and, you know, the pieces of that pie and the size I want each in terms of relationships, kids, volunteer work, career, and then just really taking stock of, is that what I'm doing? Like, is that the life I'm living or is there adjustment 
that needs to be made. And I found it a really great way to kind of hold the mirror up on exactly that. It makes you think about what is important and how am I doing what I'm doing every day in alignment to that? Because when you get out of sync, then it actually can create stress too for for yourself. So I found that a very effective way of then determining kind of the things I want to do in the next kind of three-year chunks of my career along the way. I love that. It uh, it reminds me of this concept of state of the union <laughs> that can be applied to your own life that I had heard from a consulting partner once and adopted it myself. And so they called it their state of the marriage, uh, which you can do as an, you know, an individual version or you can do it as part of a partnership or a larger family. But the idea is that you force yourself exactly as you said, Mona, to sit down, whether it's every six months or 12 months, but you have a regular cadence and you take that mirror up to yourself, the different versions of yourself that might appear within different arenas of your life, and also how the dynamic relationships that are so important to your whole self also feature into that bigger picture. Talia, thank you. Thank you so much for being at the starting line, for sharing your career journey, what's impacted your journey, and to explore with me the importance of corporate wellness strategies, women's health, and wellness tips. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure.